Welcome to the Fight Lawyer Podcast, where we discuss combat sports and the law. Our guest today is MMA legend and UFC Hall of Famer, Boss Rutten. Boss, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. You're very welcome. So let's begin with your life and career in MMA. How did you begin in the sport, ultimately fight in the U.S., and become one of the most well-known fighters in MMA? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a question that, that takes such a long time. It's, you know, it, it started with me being a kid and being bullied. I had a horrible skin disease everywhere on my hands, my arms, and my neck, face. Uh, so I had to wear these Band-Aid gloves and long sleeves, turtlenecks. I always tried to hide it for every kid. You know, and kids, they're relentless. They, they have no clue. Uh, how how really deep they can hurt you with just saying things. So uh, I think that was pretty much, yeah, the the reason that I wanted to become a fighter because of the bullying, you know. And then seeing a Bruce Lee movie when I was 12 years old, that changed my life. That that Enter the Dragon, I realized that if I would be like Bruce Lee, the bullying would pretty much stop. So that's why my quest started to become a martial artist. Uh, it took a long time because my parents didn't want me to do it. But eventually, you know, at 14 years of age, I started doing Taekwondo. I started training with the adults because I had a friend of mine who took care, uh, a friend of a neighbor who took me under his wing. So uh, training with the adults was a really good thing for me because I started dropping those adults and six weeks, two months, you know, and, and, and I heard them, uh, you know, talk about me in the dressing room. Everybody was impressed. So my confidence started rising. And then I got in a, bull, in a, in a, in a fight with the biggest bully in town. His name was Shucky, and uh, I knocked him out one one punch with his six bodies were there, and it, it was the most amazing experience to me. It changed my life. It changed. I, I think ninety eight percent of the bullying stopped right there. You know, if now somebody would bully me, it was somebody who didn't know me or didn't hear about the story, but for the rest, it stopped. So it did work. I would always say to people, they you know, and and I understand this. You know, you can't fight violence with violence, but sometimes you have to fight violence with violence, like bullies are such a dumb people, they, they, it's proven, you know, like the majority of them doesn't have the highest IQ, and that's why they do it, because if you really break it down and you realize, oh, why is somebody bullying, it's, it's actually a very insecure little person who's doing it, and, and, and they don't, you can't reason with people like that. you got to pay them back in the same language they give to you, and if the language is a beating, well, then they're going to need a beating, because that language they understand, and with me, it completely helped me. It stopped everything. Understood. Understood. How did you begin in the sport uh, and ultimately come to the United States? Um, you know, I started. Uh, I, I did these uh, uh, crazy martial arts shows in Holland. Like we added, added comedy choreographed fights with short sticks, long sticks, nunchucks. We would break boards, but like really spectacular spinning back kicks. I would kick little cups off his with a spinning, jumping, flying back kick. I would kick a cup off his mouth, and he had a, a, a cup in his mouth. I would kick that out as well with a spinning back kick. You know, and we, with all these crazy demonstrations, and, and suddenly we became, you know, we became known people there. It's, they, they put us on TV. They start putting us on uh, big events in the break. You know, there was an hour break. Boom, let's put us in the ring there at a big mixed martial arts. Not mixed martial arts. I wasn't there at the time at a big kickboxing event or a Thai boxing event. And we, we, you know, suddenly we were on TV and we went to European TV and we started traveling through Europe actually to do those shows. At, uh, at events, and at one of those events was Chris Dolman. <clears throat> he was um, fighting at the time. He was the representative for the organization Rings in Japan, which is a shoot fighting organization, but there was a lot of work in there as well. And, uh, and he told me that was, uh, you know, I, I, I should focus on free fighting. 
he knew me from Thai boxing, he said, but now he saw me doing these crazy backflips and all these somersaults and the, all the stuff we did in those demonstrations. And he says, I, I really think you have a great, uh, you will be great at free fighting. That's what they call it. I asked him what it was. He explained it to me. And then he told me that there was money involved. I could actually make money with it. And, and that's where it started. You know, one day I got a phone call and there's a new organization at his gym, Funaki Mazakatsu, Suzuki Minoru, two fighters from Pancras, who also were the owners of Pancras. And they were looking for new blood, so to say. And uh, he called me that morning. Uh, I picked up the phone, which I never did. And the answering machine was broke. So it was really weird that I did pick up the phone. He said, jump in your car right now. You got to come to Amsterdam. There's a tryout. Uh, some Japanese guys here are looking for new fighters. So I went to Amsterdam. It's a long drive for me, like a two and a half hour drive. Well, consider in, in Holland, that's a long drive here. It doesn't mean anything. But um, I knocked the guy out. Uh, in a sparring session because he went really hard. I won two or three times. And then in the third round, I figured, okay, he does it to me. I'll do it back, you know. So I knocked him out with a high kick. So it was spectacular. And I remember Funaki and Suzuki both pointing at me. And they say, we want him. And that was it in 1993, September 21st, 1993. That was about two months after that tryout, I would say. I was fighting in Japan. And that's where everything started. Now, you mentioned you fought for Pancrase. How different is it fighting in Japan than fighting in the United States? Is it the crowd sizes, the atmosphere, the events? What's the big difference that stands out in your mind now? Uh, it's the people. It's uh, The people really understand that you are the professional fighter, so you will probably know it better than them. So these are the people who will not shout instructions to you what you need to do once you're fighting. You know, so it, but what that means, it's completely silent. It's the weirdest experience. I mean, if I would put a buddy of mine in the 20th row or in the 30th row, if he would speak to me in the voice that I'm talking to you with right now, I could understand him. That's how quiet it is. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody gets knocked down or some, some uh, submission gets really close, people go nuts. They go nuts for about five seconds and then it's quiet again. You know, and I truly believe that that's actually changed my whole fighting i i think you know i pick up negative energies a lot you know that's why i don't go shopping when it's very crowded all those things because it drives me nuts it's like almost like i feel the energy of other people and i was a super aggressive fighter in thai boxing like every picture you see of me when i knock somebody out my facial expressions are just like an animal like everything is screaming and and just trying to kill the guy pretty much and in japan it completely changed me i was i was mesmerized i was thinking during the fight i was doing playing these little tricks that i was doing and i go man what is going on here i could hear my corner talk to each other to themselves i you know i i could hear um the people in the audience when there was uh, like a uh, english-speaking people at the first row i could understand that they were saying this was all during the fight and i've never been like that and i thought wow it has to be that everybody is quiet there so you can really zone in your opponent in on your opponent and uh, I just became a complete different fighter, way more calculated than I was in Thai boxing. Why do you think culturally there's such a big difference? Why do you think in Japan fighters are respected so much more than they are here? Because they understand it's an art. You know, now they start understanding it as well. But it's still, you know, if you, you, know, if you say you're a fighter, you, you can tell the demeanor of the people. Now, if they would have been talking to me for an hour already, and then they, they find out I used to be a fighter, that's okay. But if you come, oh, so what you used to do? Uh, now I can say it, I'm an actor. I'm trying to avoid the fighting thing. And not because I'm, 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 I'm ashamed of it. Absolutely not. The opposite is true. But I, 
I just don't want to go there anymore because it's all the time the same questions. Oh, isn't that afraid? Isn't that dangerous? Isn't that this? You know, but now once they ask you the question right from the beginning, you always see that little look and it's a look like, oh, you ever got another jock or another dumbass, you know, people that they think that you uh, cannot be a smart person in order to be a fighter. And I, I actually actually believe the top guys are the, the opposite and if you look at the fighters as well, we know this by now, you know, there's a lot of these fighters, mixed martial artists, they all have college degrees. It's a, it's a big difference. And if you look at boxing or other sports, and then you look at uh, MMA, it's a, it's, it's a mind sport. For, for, for people to understand that, it's a very hard thing because, you know, you see two guys in a cage trying to beat the crap out of each other. That doesn't look like a lot of technique. But once they understand it, what they do in Japan, where they truly understand it, you know, it's, it's the samurai spirit also. You know, if you go back to uh, Miyamoto Musashi, the greatest swordsman, you know, you got Zun Tzu, the art of war. You got all these great guys coming, these, um, how you say, the Bushido, the way of the, of the warrior. You know, that, that it's so instilled in, the, in Japan that now, okay, yeah, you can't kill people anymore. But the next best thing is the warrior who faces other warriors around the world at the highest level. And I truly believe that's why... Japanese people are so mesmerized with uh, the whole samurai thing. They kind of see a samurai right there. Agreed. Now, your career was cut short by injury. You came back in 2006. Can you tell us a bit about that, why you weren't able to extend that comeback longer? Um, you know, I, they, they, they called me. They offered me a really nice uh, a payday at the time. And uh, I go, you know what? That It would be great because I would like... I, I, I was looking at a house here, very close to the house where I used to live, like a quarter of a mile away, and it had a pool. And I and I really like a pool, so I said, you know what, maybe I should take the fight so we can go to that house, it's for sale, and then we, you know, we, we have a pool. So that's why I took the fight. I was also drinking a lot at, the, at that time, and, uh, and, and, and that was another reason for me, because I knew that if I would, you know, if I would take the fight, well, that would be over, because I simply couldn't do it anymore. I'm going to get my butt handed to me. So, um... I started training. Everything was great. I had about 10 weeks, I believe, for the fight, nine or 10 weeks. Uh, no injuries. I was really, I mean, within four weeks, I started training with the top guys again. And everybody goes, boss, this is crazy. I thought, I know, right? They said, you have a new career, dude. You're, you're back in business. This is going really well. I said, yeah, this is only four weeks. I got like five more weeks to go. It's going to be great. And I was so stoked. But then week number five came, and boom, an old injury came back. And number six, and then boom, boom, boom. And they start stacking up all the injuries that I stopped fighting for in the first place. They start coming back, and then some. I, I, pulled, a, I pulled a groin, and then I pulled a hamstring, and then I pulled a rib was out. And then on top of that, I had my knees, and my tendonitis in both of my arms was back. That was the, the big one for me that I stopped. You know, it, it was just for me... A confirmation that you know I, I have to stop. This this is my last fight because tra once you hit the, the tendonitis, is uh, I tell always this to people. I, I tell these people it's it's such a pain. It's it's a pain unlike any other pain. You it comes from the inside out. It's like your bone is almost heating up. Your bones in both arms or my my upper arm bones, and it's it is so painful for an hour and a half, and there's nothing you can do about it you know you can take painkillers but then you're going to mess yourself up with that again so as you have to write it out you know i start losing weight because i couldn't eat anymore because of the pain and you know training doesn't become fun anymore you have 45 minutes to train 
Uh, that's literally 45 minutes. One second later, boom, the tendonitis hits. I don't know why that is, but it, for some reason, you can train 45 minutes. And that's it. After that, you can't train anymore. So you better make sure that you train the 45 minutes really freaking hard. Uh, because after that's going to be over, you're going to be an hour and a half, two hours in the, in excruciating pain. So that really stopped my uh, career. If there's one piece of advice you can give to young fighters now, what would that be? It, it's very simple. And I, I repeat this all the time. I say to people, if, if you go to a doctor with an injury and the doctor tells you, okay, you can't, two, two months, you can't uh, train. Take four months. That's what I would say. Double it up and don't do what every fighter, me included, don't get me wrong. That's why I know fighters are doing this. They say, oh, one month. Okay, I'll probably be back in three weeks. They cut it in half or even less and they want to start training again. Because once you start doing that, you know, trust me, those injuries, they will come back. But they come back with a vengeance once you get older. And it's, uh, it's a nightmare. Like for me, when I go to a gym right now and I see guys sparring, it's really hard for me to watch that because I, that's, it's, it's number one on my list to train again, to spar or to roll on the ground. Oh, man, I love that. You know, every time you roll on the ground, there's new things that you discover. There's so many possibilities and, and combinations. And, and it's the same as sparring on your feet as well. So I always really enjoyed that. And if you can't do it anymore, you know, it, it, it's a hard thing. So that's, that, that, that's my advice. If the doctor says six weeks, take, take, take 12 weeks. Relax. Now, you've been part of so many MMA organizations after your fight career. Pride, AFL, Dream. What makes it so hard for so many of these places to stick around? Is it just the increasing popularity of the UFC? Yeah, you know, they saturate everything. If you have 37 shows a year or, or more and everything's, you know, and they buy up all the other shows with Netflix and it, it becomes one big home where you can watch pretty much any mixed martial arts event around the world. Yeah. You, now now you, you're pulling all the attention to you. So that's what I truly believe. Uh, Bellator will have a chance. But, you know, and especially now with the money deals that they're doing and with the whole Reebok deal, you know, I, I don't think if that's going to stay in place this year. I don't know about that because a lot of fighters are complaining, but other organizations don't have that. What I never got is why, why not is there another organization with a, uh, with a, couple, with a billionaire at the, at the head who just says, okay, we'll double or we triple every pay that the UFC is doing. So if you come to us, you're going to get that. Because I truly believe that once you start doing that, that's where the fighter is going to choose. They're going to look, go for the place where they can make the best money, where they can really support themselves from fighting, and then hopefully even retire and still have money left. And, and, and I think once an organization like that comes, you know, that could be trouble. But I think Bellator is, is knocking on its way. UFC is just a big powerhouse. They do everything right. And related to that, how do you think, how useful do you think a fighter union would be? Do you think it's even practical? Yeah, it, it would be great. It, it, it would be great to have a union. But, you know, it's, it's an individual sport. It's, an, uh, it's a very hard th thing to accomplish. But I, I, think, I, I truly believe, you know, like, like an Ali Act or something, all that stuff that, that will come in the future because the sport is just way too big for that. It has, it has to come, you know, to, because some fighters, you know, you, you see it. They're, they're really good fighters. An injury happens and maybe a, a compound fracture or something happens that they can never fight again and the career is gone and that's it. What are they going to do now? You know, and if, you, if, you, if the break is really bad, you can't even be a, become a teacher or you didn't have a backup plan, you didn't stay in school or you did, whatever, you know, you, you're going to have a problem. So for that reason, yeah, I truly believe that uh, it, it would be good to have a union.
And in terms of drug testing, so many of these fighters now getting popped for drugs, how do you think they can combat that? Is it possible to get rid of it from the sport entirely? I don't think so. I, thought, I always think you have knuckleheads who uh, who think they can, you know, who, who can still use it undetected. And that's why these <laughs> these guys are getting caught. I think the penalty should be bigger. You know, the first time is a year. Why not the first time two years? Second time you're out, boom, get it over with. You know, everything you put in your mouth is is, is your is you. You know, if you decide this is the thing I'm I'm saying all the time as well. And I used to do this when I was fighting in Japan. We're talking '93 guys. When it was all, and I saw guys walking around me, ballooned up, 245 pounds, who suddenly now, when you see them are 190 pounds or 200 pounds, it's weird, right? You can't lose 45 pounds. <laughs> that means that you were doing something at the time. You know, it's, uh, it's a shame. I, 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 hope, um, I hope they re- really get a handle on it. And, uh, and I think penalties is the worst thing, you know, no pay. Once you get caught, you don't get paid. I think they should give the, pay, the fighters check as soon as their tests clear. Because if the test doesn't clear, they should not get paid. And I think once you do that to a fighter, that's it. They're going to stop. Yeah, you will, of course, there's always really dumb people, but that's going to be a handful. And would you support a no-tolerance policy, something like a one-and-done? Uh, no, no, not, not that, because it is... It, it is possible. People, listen, people do make mistakes, you know, and uh, people do uh, are. Uh, how do I say this? There's always a friend who says, oh, my God, this is really good stuff, man. You should try to take this out. It's totally legal, totally. And if you trust that friend and you're a knucklehead and you don't look it up and, uh, you know, and there is something in that particular product. Yeah, that's a problem. But if you are like me, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say when I was fighting in Japan. I brought my own bread from Holland. I was eating the same that I did in Holland. I would make sure that I wouldn't go to a to an uh, like a cheap sushi place, and thankfully you don't have those in in Japan. But but all these kind of things are very dangerous for a fighter to do. Bring your own water. That's what I did when I was fighting. I will bring my own water bottles. Ha, boss! They're not going to put anything in the water. No, but you never know. And I can if I do this, I can never blame it on something else. I can never say, "Oh, I took something from a guy. He said it was good, and it made me feel really bad." Because then I'm the stupid guy who did that, who took it from the other guy. You know, you know what you are. And if you bring your own food, you bring your own water. Nobody can put something in there. Nobody can poison anything. I had a friend who was a bodybuilder, and um, it was a she, and she did use steroids. And she got caught with steroids, but she, she said, I didn't use those steroids. So what happened to her, uh, because she said, yeah, I, I got popped. She said, I, I did use steroids, but I didn't use that particular steroids. But the day before the show, her, one of her competitors, they were at a bar, like a, like a healthy bar, so to say, and they gave her an, uh, what is it, a protein shake. And she took the protein shake. And she told me, pretty sure that in that protein shake, somebody put that kind of steroids because that was the only steroid she never used. She used others, she said, but she didn't use that one. You see, so those things are always possible, and they have to really go to the bottom of it. But for the rest, I say the second time. If the first time happened, okay, we, you can get a little bit neglected. You took something from somebody, whatever. You can come up with a crazy excuse. Second time, you're going to be out. And it needs to be across the board. You know, It needs to be like if you get caught in the UFC for that, you should not be able to fight in another organization anymore.
Now, you fought in an era where drug testing was obviously a lot more relaxed. Do you ever think back and say, maybe your career would have been longer, you would have suffered less injuries if the sport was regulated, so you weren't fighting against guys that potentially could have been juiced up? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think it's all, in the, it's all in the head of people. You know, you don't gain so much as you think you gain. It's, it, it's fighters have a real big problem. It's the same as alcoholics. And, and listen, I'm a fighter. And, and, and well, actually, I, I, you can remember me also as an alcoholic. It's, it's never the fault, fault of somebody else. It's, uh, oh, no, it's, it's never the fault of themselves. You know, once you um, accept that you are the problem, you don't need any steroids. It's all the time because another fighter was cutting more weight than the other than him, and because of that, he was stronger during the fight. Or it was that the other fighter was using something. Guys, it's such a BS. It doesn't really matter. Weightlifting, if you do it with or without steroids, you really think there's that big of a, a difference? There's I actually tests out there for Olympic people, uh, people who got clipped at the Olympics, and all the people who got clipped at the Olympics were worse with steroids than they were with, uh, without steroids. You know, there's this whole test done about it. I think it's all in the head. I think it's all what people think it is, but it isn't really. You know, I, know, I, I do understand. Once you get older, you know, and you go a certain age, you can't recoup as fast anymore. Yeah, you need it. But I think that until you're, yeah, at least up to 40, 45, there's enough people who can still have their own testosterone levels and who can train them. Yes, you have to watch out. Like when I was fighting at 42, I can't train like I did when I was 32. You know, I have to, then I went eight times a week, out of control, crazy hard. Now I can only do four times a week then because the rest I'm going to need to recoup. All the other workouts I got to do at 80%. You see, it's good for that. Now, and don't get me wrong as well, I'm not, I'm not against uh, steroids. I'm not against it if it is used for the right reason. If you use it in fighting, you're a loser. You, you, you shouldn't use it. And you cannot look at yourself. If I would have used it in fighting, I, there's no way I can look at myself and see a, a good person when I brush my teeth in the mirror. There's no way because then I know that I cheated and that's how I got my belt. It's stupid, but you don't need it. You don't really need it. But if you have an injury, you know, let's say you have a bad neck injury and the doctor says, okay, you're going to be a year out, dude. He said, but, you know, if I give you some testosterone or whatever steroid he wants to give you, you might be able to fight within six months again. Then I tell the fighter, use it, stay it, make sure the athletic commission knows about it because they will allow it. Everything is going to be okay. <clears throat> use it, get rid of that injury, but then just make sure that at least two months before you fight again, you don't use anything and that it doesn't show up in your system. Then I say, okay, you can use steroids to heal faster. But in competition, no, you're the biggest a-hole when you do that because you bring other people in danger. Now, you're one of the few fighters who was able to successfully transition to a long-term career outside of the sport, broadcasting, acting. Why is that such a hard transition for other fighters to make? Oh, well, maybe it's just not their forte, so to say. It, it, everybody says, oh, I want to be an actor, I want to do this, you know, but, but nobody does something about it. And, and with that, I mean, like, if you want to be a fighter, well, you're going to be a fighter and you're just going to fight, or you have to actually train for it and do these things. And, and right now they don't see that yet. You know, of course you need to train, otherwise you can't fight. What, do you think acting is different? You don't have to learn that? It's a profession. People get paid a lot of money if you're a really good actor. That means it's a really hard profession to learn. 
So when I came to the States, within three months, I lived, when I was living here, I was already taking acting classes at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. I knew eventually that my career was going to be over and I would like to be prepared for something that I would enjoy doing. And it was whether I'm going to do TV, movies, or maybe stunt work or fight choreography, anything in movies. I always, I'm a big movie buff. My entire life I've been like that. And I've always been thinking about that, doing something like that. And uh, so p- preparation is the key. But, you know, if you don't like to be an actor, you shouldn't be an actor because then it's going to, first of all, you're going to be a horrible actor. People will tell, you know, but then look for a different profession. You want to be a commentator? Start commentating. Start doing these things. Start learning about it. You know, oh, yeah, but I'm a fighter. I know everything about it. No, but it's, it's a different way talking to the people uh, on a live show into the camera about uh, breaking down a fight. Yeah, that's real easy to do. In a, in, a, in a mirror while you're practicing, but do it at a live event where you cannot make any mistakes. Now the pressure is on. Every fighter should know their very first fight. When they fought, everybody will tell you pretty much. There's a few exceptions who are just controlled right away, but I wasn't one of them, I guarantee you that. But, you know, it's chaos. Your first couple of fights are chaos. And that's exactly what acting is going to be for you if you don't study it. So it's always better to go prepared, you know, start taking classes, start doing something that that you can do once you stop fighting. It can be any profession. It can be any profession. But if that, you know, just make sure that you start doing it. Don't think my career is going to go till this far, because if you can do that, well, then you're God. Well, then you can predict that you don't get injuries, you don't get anything, and you know exactly when you're going to die. You, you know, people don't get that. You know, you can walk on the street right now and a car slips and something happens, a guy is drunk, whatever. Anything can happen and he can hit you and your career could be over. And if you don't have a backup plan, that's going to be a problem. So just make sure you have a backup plan. That was my follow-up, actually. You're a regular now on Kevin Can Wait on CBS TV show. In terms of commitment, how does acting compare to fighting or broadcasting? But, you know, it's all, it's all regimen. It's, uh, it's everything. You know, you, you wake up in the morning and, and that's where you start. Like, but when I had to go back to uh, Long Island uh, to, to shoot a show, I think about five weeks before, my whole morning is spent in memorizing anything. You know, now, thankfully, I'm, I'm a Catholic as well, so I, I do prayers and I do everything. But it's all training my mind. It's training my mind. It's training my mind. Getting old scripts. I asked them to send me, like, 12 scripts, old scripts, very for the first season. Uh, that I, you know, and I start memorizing those scenes and doing those scenes and doing other people's scenes, not only your scenes, you know, just pick out scenes and just start putting it in there because the mind is an incredible uh, tool. It's the same as everything else in the body. We train our body really hard, you know, and it gets stronger and stronger. And it's the same with, with your mind. If you challenge it the whole time and you're constantly putting in your head, and you start memorizing, you know, it becomes easier to do because you're getting used to it. You're training that big brain muscle. That's what you're doing. And, and, and that's what people should do. It's just, you know, what you did in fighting, spend that same amount of time and put it into acting or any other profession. And once you do that, you, you will succeed because it's a lot of time you put in there. But this is the thing, you know, I used to love fighting. It was, it was everything, training for me, everything. I loved everything about it. If you pick something that you don't really love, it's going to be very hard to do. Now, acting for me, I love acting. I try to break down every little line and I, how can I deliver this line? How can I do this? Oh, wait a minute, but he said that before. And what was the scene before that led up to this? And, you know, and just break it down, break it down, and then see what is the best possible reaction for you. I love that kind of stuff. But some guys, 
don't like that. You have some fighters who would like to be a world champion fighting, but they don't really like fighting. And then it's going to be hard for you to train if you don't really like something. And that's the same in acting. So if you do acting because you want to be out there, you know, first of all, that chance is very, very tiny, small, you know, to, to be a big star actor like The Rock. That's what I'm saying. You know, I, I, I never even focused on that. I always said, yo, just having a part somewhere, that would already be great. Or maybe a fight choreographer, do something. Just preparation, man. Preparation for something that you love to do. Pick it out. Start practicing. And then do it. You never go. That's what I always say, right? If you love what you're doing, you never go to work. And that's really my life. It's all a bit all about that. Not in the first 17 years. I worked really hard. 18, 19 years. I did every freaking job you can imagine. But, you know, once you start doing things that you love to do, I mean, sky's the limit. I, inside MMA, I, I told everybody, I never, ever, we had 433 shows. I never had a show that I thought, ah, I wish I could stay in today, but I didn't have to do it. Never. I always wanted to go see Kenny, see Ron, see people, new fighters. Maybe Coleman was going on, Don Fry was coming on. You like the old school fighters that we would invite. I was always looking forward to that. It's the same when I go to a show next or this week, tomorrow, I, I, for the Professional Fighters League. I'm looking forward to that. Sitting ringside, all the fighters there. You know, I started to, you know, as a fighter. It's so cool to see these guys and any wins that you see the ride going up. Uh, it's... Uh, Everything for me right now is gold. Everything, what I do, I love to do. Now, in addition to everything else that you did, which was a lot, you also briefly coached Kimbo Slice several years ago. What impact do you think he had on the sport, good or bad? I think Kimbo had a, had a big impact. I mean, this guy was so known. It was, it was the craziest thing. You, we, we couldn't walk here on the street with him. We, we would go to a Best Buy to whatever, you know, we would be in a different state and they would like to play video games. So they're going to buy a video game console uh, with some video games and they would put all the TVs together that connecting rooms, all the TVs together and everybody would sit in a circle around those four TVs and then people would play video games. But, you know, just to get a video game or to buy the, the, the console for the video game, that was a hard thing because everywhere we went, people dove on him. He's just a magnet for people and he was a, a really good guy as well you know he's very approachable yeah he looked scary but everybody knew that it was under that scary look that was a, a really nice guy I, I really enjoyed the time with him and it's been so great of you to join us where can people go to learn more about you upcoming appearances what you're up to these days um you know i would say uh, that's a hard one most of the time just facebook basswood uh, facebook.com slash basswood and that's the the Facebook URL, and then on Twitter, I pretty much only answer questions, and I'm not this big social media guy. So if you need to know a question, I would say Twitter me, uh, give me a tweet, because then I, I, I respond, and I will, uh, and, and I do everything myself on social media. These are not other people doing it for me. Just so boss with an MMA on Twitter, that's where I answer questions, and if you want to see what goes on in my life, most of the time I, I post that on Facebook. Boss, once again, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. You're very welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. And that's our interview with Boss Rutten. I hope you had a good time. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Dmitry Shaknovich, and if you want to learn more about me, please visit www.dshacklaw.com. And this is the Fight Lawyer Podcast. Till next time, folks.